For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. BBN, what is going on? We are here with another episode of Believe in Kentucky alongside the 96 champ, the 96 MOP, the SEC player of the year, Tony Delk. Vinny Hardy is here. What's going on, TD? Hey, man, another week of basketball. So it's, it's almost like watching the NCAA. when it comes to NBA games. So it's been a, a good, rewarding week for me as far as uh, seeing a lot of a lot of basketball. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, we were, we were excited about it. Last week, you know, things starting back and finally getting to, to see it happen, you know. Uh, and so far, you look, anything can change minute to minute. So far, so good in the bubble. Uh MLB could take a lesson or two from the bubble. <laughs> yes, they can. You know, I, I think the NBA had, you know, when when this, this pandemic started, you know, their, uh, their board of directors as well as, you know, the commissioner, they had a plan, you know, to bring this thing back. And how could it be the safest? And how could, it, how could you come back where you're not putting players at risk? And all you could have done that is by having all teams and front office people in the same place. And that's what we or you know, NFL we can't put all parties, you know, really test these guys and making sure people follow the guidelines. Uh, I think I'm. I think I'm losing you, man. It's it's lagging real bad. Got you talking real. Something up for for us about your best player. They have to fly and play. I mean, it caused a lot of trouble. It was real slow and laggy, man. I don't know if it was just a signal. Or it was. It was real distorted. Oh well. Well, I think, like I said, back to the to the NBA. I think they, I think they just have to make sure that as they as they start this season, you know, it, it was important for them to understand, like, to try to you know make it make it as competitive as possible. So you've seen so many teams they'll come out and be really good. You know, I'm, I'm 
I'm really impressed with the Phoenix Suns. I think Monty Williams has done a really good job of just getting those guys ready and prepared. And uh, D. Booker, man, he can – when I tell you he can ball and get buckets, that dude's played. Man, hey, hey, Tony, it was it was distorted. The last only thing I heard you say was D Booker getting buckets. I don't know if it was just a bad signal, but it was clear for that last two seconds. But everything else was real laggy and kind of it was hard to hear. So I don't know. Uh, you might be in a good spot now going forward, but yes, I am. But no, but talking about D Booker, I think D Booker, what makes him good is just his ability to put the ball down and just to be able to make plays, you know, and uh. I think Monty Williams has done a really good job of, of putting the right pieces, not only around him, but just, you know, how he built his team. You know, I think he's learned so much from being a head coach to an assistant coach that, you know, with Phoenix, when they hired him and kind of gave him, you know, a five-year deal, it's comfortable when you get a, a deal past, you know, two or three years. You know, it's, it's always something that – and not to say you can't get fired in, in, in between that time, but at least – from a culture perspective, you you understand they're trying to trust you with their organization. You know, they want to see a game plan. And they're going to say, sound like they're going to give them time to be successful. Absolutely. You, you're coming in loud and clear now, and we are rolling along. Uh, y'all can get us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your, your podcast. Go to Believe.com, straight to the website. Follow them on Twitter at Believe Podcast. Advertising on the show, go to Believe.com, hit the contact button, let them know what you would like to do. Talk about on the Believe podcast with myself and Tony Bell. Rolling right along, and as mentioned, you touched on Devin Booker. And do you do you have a special place in for the sun still yet? Because you that was, you know, the weather there is if you had to pick a franchise, is that the one that's maybe the most special in your heart? I think it is. You know, when I had it when I left Sacramento and you know, signed with the Phoenix Sun. It was, you know, one of one one of my plans was just to be out there because, you know, I said it was a different atmosphere. I really enjoyed just, you know, being in the desert. Um, when you come from the south, just a you know different environment. Um, but it was really just to play with Jason Kidd, and I just thought that the city was so different from uh, so many other cities and places I had been. And when you think about you know, what are organizations that, you know, most guys that when they get a chance to trade teams and go places, they want to go go to a warmer climate. And that was just something that back in 1996 when I finished school at the University of Kentucky, I had a chance to go out there for, at that time it was called the, uh, the Desert Classic. And the Desert Classic invited all the top players, all the top seniors in the country to uh, go out and, and kind of like it was, uh, it was a week of, it was like a pre-draft. And that's when I fell in love with Phoenix. I was like, man, if I ever get a chance to be a free agent, you know, I'm going to sign a deal here. And even after I got traded and got traded to Boston, I still remained out there for three or four more years. But it's always a place that I've enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I used to try to take a trip out there every three to four years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of Devin Booker and the Suns, we, we got a question. We always you know, ask the listeners, if you got questions for TD, send them in. Kentucky Joe, who has become sort of a legend on Kentucky Sports Radio, calls in Matt Jones and those guys. He wanted me to ask you if you could hold your own in a three-point contest with Devin Booker. That was Kentucky Joe's question for you. <laughs> Man, I can hold on with, with anyone. You know, it, it doesn't matter who the competition is. You know, once I get locked in and loaded, you know, it's, it's on and popping. But uh, just a really, you know, 
we didn't really get a chance to see a lot of Devin Booker because that team, that 2015 team was so loaded. And, you know, there were so many players that, that you can go to on a nightly basis. But, you know, when you look at someone like him and, him and Hero, you would you hope those guys would stay in the, stay at least until their sophomore year, really to just see them perform at that kind of level. But what Devin did a really good job of was, you know, really find out who he was. And when he went early to a good organization, they allowed him to play. I think that's the difference between so many guys when they, when they go to these different places is, you know, will they get a chance to showcase all of their talent? So he got a chance really to showcase his talent. And, you know, it's, it's on display now. For sure. Man, the, how about the game winner to close out? The Clippers on Paul George and Kawhi spinning into a pump fake and, and then just raising up on both of them. I mean, you know, he, he's, you know, if, if they were better record-wise, you know, we'll be talking about him, you know, being an all-star. Not even being an all-star, him being an all-star, you know. Um, but just, you know, his approach. And I remember, was, I think it was last year he was talking about they were playing pickup basketball and the guys were double-teaming him. And he was like, man, it's pickup basketball. So it, it, it lets you know how much respect they had for him and, and what kind of game he had, you know. So I think when you see him, he goes hard. Uh you know, he, he. I tell you what, I saw a couple years ago was his ability to run the pick and roll. And you know, when you start seeing younger players, especially guys who didn't, you know, we didn't see him play point guard at Kentucky. But when he started running the pick and roll, and he had, he understood different reads. You know, that's when I knew I was like, man, he, he's a special talent because he has a really good basketball IQ, and he understood the things that the the parts of how the moving parts of a pick and roll how you take care of those, you know, what you see, you know, seeing the weak side, the strong side, who to put in the pick and roll, the plays to make in the pick and roll. And those are all things that, you know, you can't, you can't always teach that. You can talk about it, but he figured out on his own how I can become an elite player is I gotta, I gotta know this pick and roll, you know, so we know he's going to be a great shooter, but his athletic ability is underrated. Uh, Decision-making is kind of like the same, Um, but you know, just his, his toughness is something that goes unnoticed. You know, he's a tough, he's a tough character, man. So it's, I really enjoy watching plays. So seeing him go against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I mean, that was, you know, hey, that's a challenge, man. You're talking about two of the best wing defenders in the league. And, man, he went out there and gave him 37. Yeah, <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. Uh, and Phoenix is playing well since the restart in the bubble and, and, this thing where the ninth seed, if they're within three games of the eighth seed, they have a play-in. Memphis is there in eight right now, but Phoenix could get in there and, and have a shot at that play-in if they keep this up. I think, to me, I think Memphis is out. I, I don't think – Memphis might win one game in this bubble. You know, losing Jaron Jackson. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they would hurt – they're hurting from an offensive standpoint. And they have some good young talent, don't get me wrong. But I just don't think they have the experience – to beat some of these teams that are really fighting to get into get into that playoff, and, and even looking at your top team, I'm not I'm not sold on the Lakers as I was before the pandemic took place. You know, those guys are you know LeBron is going to be LeBron. I think um, AD has to come out and play every game, and he has to you know so it's off and on with AD, and they just not shooting the three. I mean, they're like one of the worst teams in worst teams in the league shooting a three-point shot, and that's what every team probably 
you know, with the exception of maybe a couple other teams that are out the playoffs, every team shoots three well. So as much attention as LeBron draws, those guys got to be able to knock down shots. And not to say they can't change in, in the next couple of weeks, but, um, you know, what I'm seeing now is that we, they don't have guys that can shoot. They don't have guys that can shoot threes, and they're not a good free throw shooting team. And, you know, I think a lot's going to fall on LeBron's on his lap as well as AD. These other guys have to step up. How do you think the rookie of the year shakes out? You think John Morant gets it? You think they've tried to give it to Zion? Uh, <laughs> <how do> you... <laughs> to be honest with you, they, they, they would love for Zion to, to get it. He, and he should get some votes. But I don't – like I said, I think that's John Morant because, uh, you know, he has a larger body of work because he's played all year. I think Zion has really got to concentrate on just, you know, just staying healthy. And, and that's the – that's my biggest concern with him is that he's never, you know, if you go back to high school, college, summer league, start the NBA, back to the bubble, is that something's always going on with him. And those are the players to me that, you know, that are always, if you, if you limp at the beginning of the season, you're probably going to be limping at the end of the season. And they got to figure out, you know, how can they keep this young this young bull healthy, and that's been a problem with them. Is that then you can't play them so you can't play them down the stretch, you know, keep minutes because you played them early. So it's just really trying to find out how to play Zion in these last, you know, five or six games and possibly going to the playoffs. And I, I really think the Lakers would love to see the Pelicans. I, you know, I, I really think Portland is going if, if they Portland find fall into the eighth slot, yeah. they could be a problem for the Lakers. Yeah, they really could. They really could. Got a flashback to UK days. And look, you've been, we talked last week about your ears burning and everybody talking about you. Now, Kentucky on Twitter, the official Twitter, Instagram, Facebook account, was playing the highlight reel, had the clips going uh, from the your senior season there in 96, showing you hitting threes, showing you attacking the rim, the whole the whole thing. So you you still getting the love this week. It, it just continues into this week as well on social media. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, you know, when I talk to people about just my playing career and just how much it meant to me to have played at Kentucky and made that decision to go there is, you know, things, ha things happen over time. You know, it wasn't the instant success that most people have right away. And that's what I tell people about, you know, being successful. It takes time. It's a process. You know, you, you would love to, to have – I would have loved to have left high school, maybe done, maybe had one great season, went on to the NBA and played 15, 20 years. But, you know, how – what I went and, and what I was thinking about, you know, was just getting playing time. Like, what's going to put me in a position where I could help a team out? And then I had to change my game. I think that was the, the one adjustment I made my, my freshman year was – you know, going from an elite score in high school, you know, we talked about this playing with the ball on my hand to now, uh, you know, I'm on the bench. I can come in the game. The ball is not going through me. I'm not touching the ball. I'm not getting many shots. So it, it was – I think mentally it changed me, but also my preparation changed when I came back as a sophomore. And, and every other year was that, you know, I'm going to try to be the best Tony Doak I can be. I can't be anyone else I've all. I can only be me because that's the only thing I've been really good at is being myself. But, you know, the love that they showed me, I mean, it's, 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 it's always going to be appreciated. I think we're, you know, at a good place now. And, and Kentucky, from what Coach Cal has done, 
you know, he's put us right back on the map, and he's had so many great players come throughout the program. So the program is growing. Uh, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that we do have a season, not only for, you know, uh, Big Blue Nation in basketball, but football and some other sports. You know, I really want to see these college kids get back out there, perform, and, you know, do what they do best, but also make sure that it's, that it's safe for them. I think everyone is trying to, to figure this out, and there are going to be a lot of experiments going on, but you, you have to experiment with knowing we don't want to pick with these young collegiate athletes in harm's way. Absolutely. Uh, when you come back to Big Blue Madness, and, and Cal has had it a few times, where all the guys from all the areas there, what's it like seeing you know, guys way before you to the young guys after you, when all y'all out there at midcourt just conversating? You know, it, it, was, it was great just seeing some guys from different eras, you know, different decades and guys that you know you look up there in the rafter you see those guys be like Man, who is this guy what did he do so it makes you kind of go back in history and makes you appreciate them even more man there's so many guys that paved the way for us that you know allowed us to come come to the university of kentucky and and, and be successful um you know black athletes but also just in, in a place where you can be you can be loved you know, like it's basketball, it's basketball. Basketball is everything there. So when you you sign that leverage to go to the University of Kentucky, you don't know the, you know, where, where the history, you don't know, you don't know a lot about the history, but when you start, when you get there and you start reading, you start looking in the raft, you see some of these players are still in existence, man. You, you really want to share, you, know, you really want to hear those stories, you know, just to see what it was like, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, you know, and, and it's still basketball, but I think every decade, even how the game is right now, there's changes in every decade. You, know, you can go back to, you know, where the game was really about inside out. You know, you had your power forward, you had your center, and those guys really, you know, basically stayed on the low blocks. You know, they, they, they to me, you know, they shrunk the court. The court was always, you know, everybody was in the paint. And now how you see the game is gone from, you know, your, your one, two, and, and at that time, you're talking about two or three guys that can handle the ball. Everybody can handle the ball right now. And the floor is so open up, and everyone can shoot three. So the game, to me, every like every decade, something has happened. You know, or even how, the, how important the three-point shot is right now. It wasn't as important when it first came in the league, even in the 90s, when you would see games in the 60s and 70s. Nobody was shooting threes at the clip that are shooting, shooting them at now. And when I say shooting, I mean, everybody – from one to five, everybody's putting up three balls. So, I mean, I love where the game is at. It's not to hate on any era, any decade of basketball, but, you know, I really enjoy watching watching this brand of basketball. For sure, for sure. You talk about how motivated you were to come back and show everybody what you were all about as a sophomore going forward after the tough freshman season. Did the the – Player of the year, any of your mind? Did you say I'm gonna this is I'm gonna go out there and get it before I leave, or you just did what you did and the awards just kind of fell into place? Man, I just ball. I, I didn't even think about you know what kind of award um, I was gonna try, what kind of accolade was um, was in front of me. It was really about coming back after losing that '95 game, North Carolina. I want to come back and you know and get back to that Final Four. It, it was. Such a special moment when I was a freshman. 
I was like, man, you know, I would love to lead my team back to the Final Four. That year we were led by Jamal Mashburn. And I knew when the opportunity was going to come, I was going to be I was going to be ready to seize the opportunity, seize the moment. And that's something that a lot of players, you know, when you when you really work hard and you believe in yourself, you know, certain things happen because you are prepared for it. So I prepare for it every summer, no matter you know how the season ended. You know, one year I thought you know we were really good, we lost to Marquette. Then, like I said about the '95 loss to North Carolina, I was like, man, you know, this was a team I, man, we, we were loaded. We should have won it. You know, I really thought that team was a team because we had just beaten Arkansas in that um, SEC championship game. UCLA, we lost to them by one. That was probably one of my worst games as a as a starter out there in California. So those teams that I knew were the 18s remain. I was like, man, I'm, I'm ready, ready to face the, especially, you know, that UCLA team in Arkansas would have been a battle, you know, because even though we beat them in the SEC championship game, you know, we had to come from behind and win in overtime. So it, it was a team that played the same style. They had similar players. So that would have been – a heck of a championship game if we had got to, you know, uh, a 95 championship against Arkansas. And then just how both fans travel and you know, we was a rivalry at that time in the conference. But the accolades, I think they came because of you know, all the hard work and, and being surrounded by so many good players, man. But, you know, I still had to go out there and play my game, knowing that I wasn't going to play a lot of time because we, we really was beating a lot of teams and it wasn't like coaches going to play me 33, 35 minutes. So I had to get my points early and look good early because I wasn't playing in a lot of those games because there were blowouts. Exactly. I got to shift it to Utah for a minute. There was a run in the 90s where Kentucky and Utah were playing all the time, it seemed like. <laughs> the 98 squad beat them for the title. You played them a couple times while you were right. as well. On Coach Cal's – the Coffee with Cal deal that he was doing on Facebook uh, – for, first of all, for uh, COVID relief, and then with the minority leadership initiative that he did um, for helping young African-American interns and stuff get jobs. Keith Van Horn was on there. Sam Cassell was on there. Sherman Douglas was on there. And Keith mm-hmm. Van Horn said that, uh, you know, he played, of course, played for Cal in New Jersey. He said that, and this is a young Cal now, he said playing for Cal Cal was like Mr. Rogers compared to Rick Majerus. Did you ever (laughs) – did you hear anything from Majerus when y'all were playing against him? You were like, whoa, this dude here is (laughs) – No, man. You know what? You would have never thought that, man. To be honest with you, I I, I felt bad for Rick Majerus because it was almost as if Kentucky – like, they were always going to be in our bracket on our side, you know. So, as some of those good teams they had – they had to face Kentucky at some point in time. But as far as, like, just looking at him, I just remember, you know, him having a sweat on, and he was one of those coaches that, you know, lived in a hotel room. And so he was – not to say he was weird, but, you know, he had – there was something different about him. But you but you could look and tell he was a, a demanding coach. I think what's made Coach Cal so successful, so many guys have enjoyed playing for him, was that Coach Cal has always been a player's coach. And when you're a player's coach and you still gain respect from them, them dudes will compete all the time. And I think he got a raw deal in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. I think he got a raw deal in New Jersey, you know, when they basically traded six of his players away. It's like, dude, you traded my 
you traded my core players away. And uh, how how do you expect me to be successful? But, you know, coming back to Memphis, and here's the thing, here's the beautiful thing about college basketball. Like, you really can build your program, you know, to the, to, to your to your discretion. You know, you can recruit and get the players that, that you'd like to fit into your system. And it's so hard when you're an NBA coach and you're not the, the GM or the president because now those guys make the decision for your personnel. So personnel usually changes when you get to the NBA and you don't have that power. So he learned a lot from being, you know, NBA coach and not having the uh, – not being in a position of power to make decisions because now he had no leverage, you know. when But if they decide if a GM or the president decides to trade players, you really have no say-so. So I think he helped change how, you know, some of these these – you know, great coaches, you know, you think about Popovich and even, you know, Doc Rivers is not, you know, not, not as, not really a front office person, but he started out, you know, he took over as, you know, as, as a GM, but those things kind of changed with him. I think he learned a lot from, you know, what I'm, I've never put, I'll never be in position or never have, never let anyone have leverage over me. And that's the most important thing from a college coach is that that's one of the reasons why they stay in college is their program. Yeah, that's right. They they rule the roost, you know, and everybody it's they're the face of it, you know. Coach K, Coach Cal, they're the face of the of the college squad for sure. Yeah, and we can we can you know to be honest, we can to be honest, which we can go down the list of college coaches, you know, who have stayed, you know, even with even with the you know Coach Izzo, Bayheim, I mean, uh, Coach Sip, these guys have found Roy Wiz, I mean, these guys have found programs and like you said, they are the face of the program. But also, it's, you know, when players come there, you know, them players, either you can stay or go. I've been here 15, 20 years until I decided to go. You know, those coaches have power. And that's the one thing that when you get to the NBA, it has to be a player. It's definitely a player's league. And the president of the gym, they make the personnel decision if the coach does not have that power. And there's only so many coaches – that, you know, they will allow that leverage. But you have to be – either have to be successful or when they bring you in, you know, you have to say, hey, I, these, are the, these are the positions that I want. Because now when you have that position, only person that really can fire you. I think the first coach that pretty got – the first coach that got that kind of deal was Coach Patino when he left Kentucky in 1997 right. and went to the Boston Celtics. Coach was – I want to say he might have been – he had a uh, maybe 1% or 2% of the team. He was a president. He was a GM. He basically had all the titles except ownership, being an owner. And that was a game changer. So it was almost like when Coach P left in 97, he had the best deal of any coach going across the board. And that's not even counting the money that he that, uh That's not even counting the contract he signed for. So it was one of those deals where, okay, if I'm going to leave Kentucky, I have to leave, you know, this, this story program. And you have to offer you something that no other coach has ever been offered. And that's what the Boston Celtics offered Coach Patino when he left. So if you look back at that deal, there's no way any coach would have left to go and coach and be a part of, you know, go and coach the Boston Celtics. Yeah. I think everyone would have done that. Yeah, sure. Um, speaking of ownership and percentages and, and having stakes in teams, what do you think about, the guy that you basically came into the league with, you know, Kevin Garnett is is wanting to be part of a group to buy the Timberwolves, and Patrick Mahomes has already got a, a a stake in the Chiefs. 
before <laughs> years old. What do you think about those two dudes and, and their ownership? I, I like both, man. I, I like where, you know, just the new generation of, of athletes, you know, their thought process, of course, you know, they have, they're getting paid so much money that, that it puts you in a position where you have the, you have the collateral, you know, you have the income and you can pull off a deal of, you know, buying a percentage of a team, you know, but when I think about deals and teams being sold, I always go back to, you know, the Clippers, you know, a team that was probably worth about maybe six, 700 million and they were sold at, at 2 billion. But a lot of these different, you know, uh, partners and people were trying to get together, you know, uh, to buy teams. And, and you talk about one guy who was worth at that time maybe 30, 40 billion. He was like, oh, I'll buy the team for two billion. Like, I, I don't want to have, you know, uh, other people on the team. I, I want to be the majority owner. And, you know, there's so much, there's so many people that have that kind of money that if they want to go in and buy Minnesota or whatever team that's available, they can just buy it themselves. They don't even need no partners, you know. So partners are great, but, you know, you too many partners, like, you know, you heard the saying, and I know most people that's going to be listening, there could be too many cooks in the kitchen. And you want to eliminate some of those cooks if you, if, if you can do that by just saying, you know what, I want to be the majority owner, and I'm going to make the make the, all the final decisions. I don't have to really go through my minority owners. And not just say you don't need those guys, but everyone doesn't have to have people partners when they have that kind of money, you worth 20, $30 billion. You go buy your own team. That's right. I'm going to throw a, a little bit of a curveball, but it's still going to be Kentucky related. Uh, 2020 is, is just ridiculously crazy. As we know, you know, when, when the pandemic hit in March, you know, sporting events got canceled, seasons were postponed, rescheduled, things of that nature. The Kentucky Derby, usually the first Saturday in May, is now going to be Labor Day weekend and, you know, coming up here in September. When you were at UK, did you did you get over to Churchill for the Derby? Did y'all do that after the season or were you already back in Brown? <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it, it was so funny um, <laughs> that we finished, we finished the Final Four. We lost, we lost in the Final Four. And I was like, man, there was nothing like – like the event was, you know, it was I, we had so much fun, and I don't know. Someone talked me into going to the Derby, man. I was like, "What? Well, I don't, I don't know anything about no horses." And it was like, "No, you gotta experience the infield." Long story short, uh, we we ride up that morning from from Lexington. I think we probably arrived at uh, <laughs> at Churchill Downs. I want to say, man, like maybe eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. Man, I never saw a horse. I, I didn't see a horse until probably the last race. We had so much fun in that infield. There was so much happening that I forgot I was even at a, at the Derby. Yeah. It took me going back maybe five years to realize, man, this is one of the one of the, the best best events that you know you could probably you know experience. And I didn't know that because I went to to it as a as a 19 year old kid and I had a, a unbelievable time. I mean it was it was so much fun. Walter McCarty and I and a few of our friends, we just had a blast, man. And like I said, I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about horses. I don't remember placing the bet. I, I just knew that there were so many people in the infield and everyone, it was a big party in the infield. So it was a better experience about five years ago because I was I was mature and I was grown. But other than that, man, that, that was that was one of those times where, you know, you go, you look back and say, man, college was so much fun. There you go. 
I knew I just had a feeling, man. Just you know, the season's over. Pop on over there, you know, a few weeks after the season and hit the derby. Uh, first weekend in May. But this year it'll be Labor Day and but we see what it's like in the fall for hopefully this one time and things get back to normal and be back in, in May like it normally is. But but it's always you know the, the whole when it, when it's May because I was always you know every time you watch the derby it's always raining it's always like a, a weekend it's not a sunny weekend and I, I always thought they probably should have just moved it back you know probably you know later May or early June but I know it's always it's a set date but yeah. you can always you know change the date especially when you know you want to make sure that you, you bet your money that you know at least some horses running on on a, on a clean track you know grass or dirt but when i went you know i, I had this this guy was supposed to be an expert he gave me all these different uh you know all these different numbers to bet on and all these different horses to bet on oh hey here's a trifecta here you know bet this horse to win bet this horse to play so i'm like man you know i got this expert guy so i put i, I probably spent about eight nine hundred dollars on tickets and yeah. man i didn't win anything <laughs> so the track it was like the muddiest day <laughs> it was like the muddiest the muddiest track I've ever seen. And I'm thinking like, man, so it's really hard, even though you might be an expert at it, it's hard to predict how horses are going to run when it's raining. And that's something that none of us can predict. That's it. That's it. But some people get lucky, though. Like I said, somebody, you always know somebody's going to be a big winner. It just wasn't me that weekend. Right. We had talked about the Lorenzo's wine on these every episode of the podcast. We talked about the IMAC Regeneration Center. Uh, got to talk about Shooter for a minute, the story behind the double zeros. A lot of people say when they write their first book, it's difficult. Was it was it difficult for you to get your first book written, or was it simple because it was about you? Or was, what was the process like for you in getting the book done? It was a good process. It was a process that, you know, it, it is your life story. And when you've done so much in, in, in your time, especially growing up in a small town and people, not everyone believing in, in what you believe in or, you know, understanding all the hard work that, that, that goes behind just being a, a middle school, a really good middle school player, a high school player, college players, like there's levels to making it to the highest level. And that's, that was something that I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell people like, you know, you, you can you can make it from a small town, you know, and it's not about you being 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and really being a, a standout because of your height. You have to have a talent. But working hard, there's no substitute for working hard. I've always believed in working hard and trying to be the best possible player I could be, but also being the best human, the human I could be and, and treating people the way you want to be treated. And that's the one thing I was, you know, contribute to my town, Brownsville, Tennessee, is that, you know, I was loved way before I became a really good high school player. And a lot of it was that they, they saw a kid, didn't matter where there was a basketball goal, whether it was in a white, white neighborhood. Uh, in the, in, in, I'm not going to say the project. We really got no projects in Brown. Brown's not big enough to have any projects. But, you know, I, I would go to, um, you know, places where my, my mom probably knew I was playing basketball at, you know, but I didn't – I loved the game. So it wasn't about, okay, I was scared to go places that – you know, my mom didn't know where I was at, but you know, I felt like I always felt confident and comfortable, and I felt in my element when I was on the basketball court. So I always took myself there. I played all day. Then I would get on my bike. I would ride across town again. I would play some more. 
Because when I left the house at 8, or 9, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, my mom might not, she probably wouldn't see me like 4 or 5 in the evening. You know, I, like, I wouldn't even eat. I might stop by the store, pick up some chips. I don't know if you remember a drink called Jungle Juice. Go by and get me like an orange Jungle Juice or red Jungle Juice. Yeah. And, and I might have some, um, stop by this place called, it was called Q-Mart back in the day. And I'll stop by there and get me a, uh, I would always get like three chicken wings, potato logs, and it had like a, like a roll. And that was like, that was my go-to meal. And I, I had my meal, ate right in front of the store, hopped on my bike, and I would ride back to another destination to play basketball. So it, it was it was really just the story of having so many good people from a small town and, you know, just having a great family from my brothers, Ricky, David, Leslie, uh, sister Christine, Ernestine, Florence, Carnell. Everybody was a part of my story. And then all my friends, my childhood friends who I grew up with and remain friends with to this day. We talk a few times a month. We just have having solid guys, being surrounded by by good people and, and people who held me accountable and I held those guys accountable. And that's one of the reasons why we still remain friends and just having a good circle of people around. So when, when we start thinking about this book, you know, I was like, man, we, we gotta put my all my homies in, you know, my teammates, you know, guys like Kendall Dancy, Tyrone Hines, uh Runte Shaw Grover, Grover Harwell. I lost one of my teammates, Joseph. Uh, Joseph Cooper some years ago, probably over a decade ago, but was one of those guys that he sacrificed his game in order for me to be successful. You know, and when you have guys like that that understand that, hey man, this is our guy. We want to see him make it. You know, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, it's cool to bring them along and, and put them in it and, and acknowledge their contributions to you becoming you for sure. Yeah, it wouldn't. You know, it, it wouldn't be a. It wouldn't be a. It wouldn't be a shooter if if you don't have the teammates. And then, you know, I can't leave out my coach, Coach Sullivan, you know, who who saw me as a as a sophomore. And at that time, he didn't really start young players, though. He didn't start. He brought me up as a freshman. And, you know, I played. I didn't really play a lot. I just really sat on the bench. I thought it was cool to be a freshman, moved up to varsity. And I wasn't ready to play, so I was cool. But it, it looked good when you just run out to varsity as a freshman player because people are talking like, hey, you know, he's a freshman, he's a freshman. But my sophomore year, I was like one of the first sophomores that he actually inserted to the lineup. And I started with four of the seniors. And it was the, it was actually the lead scorer with those guys. And it, there was – I think the good thing about it was I established who I was. And although there might have been some jealousy, I, I never saw it. There might have been one game where one of my teammates it – was, it was actually my point guard. You know, he was kind of mad that I took a lot of shots. I was like, hey, dude, you know, you more – the more the merrier. If you rebound the ball, I said, you know what? You point guard, get the rebound, go out there and dribble. See if you can score 35, 40 points a game. And then I think after he tried and, and you know he failed at it, you know, we were cool for the rest of the way. I'm like, dude, this is hard. This this is not something that, you know, when you have a boxing one, triangle two, you're seeing all these different defenses. I'm like, dude, it's harder than you think. Cause now you gotta be thinking, okay, I know what kind of defenses I might face. How can I score against those defenses and still not be unselfish? So I figured out a way because of what my brothers taught me and how they helped my game, how they excelled my game to the point of, you know, thinking beyond high school is that they taught me as a collegiate player how to play a high school game. Yeah, so kind of kind of got you uh, further along in the game, got you ahead of the game, which was to Oh, yeah. yeah, to my advantage. Absolutely. Well, man, I know you got practice coming up. Uh, 
I'll close by saying, you know, we're definitely trying to grow the podcast. Uh, we're getting listeners all throughout Kentucky and Tennessee, of course, which you plan for Kentucky and being from Tennessee. Uh, we got the West Coast. We got people in Seattle that's listening, New York City and Connecticut, but got a few listening abroad. I've got a, a couple people that listen in Ireland, Japan, and France. So we, we get there, man. Some yes. international, we, got some, we got some international love? People that downloaded it from Japan and France and Ireland and listen to the podcast. Yes, sir. I love it, man. I love it. Man, we 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 come in every week, you know. And, and for y'all that that you subscribe, you follow, it comes to your phone. We record on Thursday or Friday, and usually it's on Tuesday when we release it. We had that production call with with Josh from Believe. He's like, Tuesday's probably a good day to drop it. So unless there's like some breaking news, big time stuff that happens while we own, we'll we'll hold it till like Tuesday and drop it, and, and unless it's like big news, and we'll release it Thursday night or Friday, but. That's that's kind of the little routine we got, and and hey, we doing our thing, man. Let's keep it rocking, man. Let's keep it rocking. Hey, have a great practice and a good weekend. I'm gonna try to watch my Rockets give the Lakers a second straight loss tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get back home and why I'm excited about watching this game tonight. I'm gonna see if the Lakers can bounce back from their loss, and you know we're gonna see if this small ball really works. Man, it's they get it's. It's such a risk, man. They get killed on the boards. I was watching them against the Mavericks. P.J. Tucker was guarding Porzingis. He just turned around shooting flat-footed over top of him, you know, banking them in. <laughs> hey, as Charles, Charles Barkley says, it's like shooting over a chair. Yeah, yeah. But they were able to beat the Bucks and the Mavs playing that way. They uh, Lillard and Portland got them. But, you know, Westbrook missed about eight free throws, or they should have won that game as well. Uh, but we'll see, you know. We'll see them. Let's see what happens next week. Let's bring up this game, all right? Absolutely, man. Have a good practice. And, and okay. Here, look, believe in Kentucky. Give us five stars on Instagram. Check us out on Spotify, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. For the legend, Tony Delp, this is Vinny Hardy. Catch y'all next time on Believe in Kentucky. Deuces. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.